Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, we unveil the Monaco Companion, our very first paperback with 50 inspiring essays. We might even play one or two. Also on the show, a new Portuguese food title about those simple food that everyone really, really loves. Enjoy the show. From Midori Housing, London, this is The Stack. 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show in-house to talk about a new project of Monaco. It's our very first paper book, The Monaco Companion, featuring 50 inspiring essays to improve everything, from your vacation to your vocation. Monaco's editor, Josh Fannett, spoke to Georgina Godwin to tell us a bit more about the book. Hello to you, Josh. Hi, Georgina. It's lovely to be here. How, I know, like the others, you're really here for the aircon. But anyway, what does this book aim to achieve? Oh, God, that's a big question, isn't it? Do you, do you start all the Meet the Writers like this? What does it aim to achieve? Absolutely. It's not immodest enough to have a, a, a huge overarching aim. What it is, is 50 essays to accompany you this summer. It's the companion. They're ideas, they're nudges, they're thoughtful exchanges from writers, from authors, there's an airline pilot, there's a, a, an artist, and they're generally things that can be summed up in a sentence or two. They're thoughts, they're ideas, they're fragments of things to take away. Because I suppose we thought, well, how can we embrace a different type of print? We have a newspaper out, we have a magazine out, we've always wanted to do a paperback. And we just thought that the format lends itself to a longer read and it lends itself to something a little bit more winding mm. in its way. So, you know, some of the essays are kind of four or five thousand words long. Some of them are 500 words, 25 men, 25 women, all with something to say, none didactic, hopefully all entertaining. So that was the uh, that was the rather modest aim. And you're one of the 25 men. You've written on digital decency. What are the main takeaways on that? Oh God, you'd have to read the essays. It's months ago that I wrote that, but um, <laughs> it's a funny idea and there's a couple of manifestos in there. I dotted them all the way through, not all written by me, but all ideas that I wanted to bring to the fore. So one of them is an essay an idea about starting a warm water swimming club against the idea of a cold water swimming club. The book actually ends on something called the Turncoats Manifesto. So the idea that changing your mind is okay. And my digital decency manifesto, it's just about thinking about how much we let our phones, our tablets, and the way that they change the metabolism of our lives into our lives. It's about turning them off now and again. It's about thinking how the buzz and ping of being constantly pestered by your emails is a bit like having your boss in bed with you, which is quite an unusual, <laughs> quite an unusual thing when you say it out loud. But actually, when you think about it, you're, you know, you're, you're receiving emails, you're doing everything all the time. And it, like the book, encourages you maybe to sit back a little bit further, to turn off the phone and to get away from the incessant bleating of the news headlines and of the demands on your time to, uh, to take time to read something. And I was so impressed when you told me that you had read the whole book in the time uh, between me giving it to you this morning and me coming on air. Well, it's a great book. And actually, you've said yourself, you think it's one of the best things we've ever done. I do. I think that the way that we put together Monocle magazine is interesting because we still send reporters on assignment. We heard earlier in the show from our journalists on the ground in Ukraine. They're working with a brilliant photographer. They're filing dispatches from a really important part of the world which needs covering and for which publications have cut budget. So there is Monocle magazine for that. But the nice thing about the paperback is to give people a bit more room to explore the topics that they discuss. And as well as getting a couple of great writers who I've wanted to see in the pages of Monocle to contribute, 
I've seen young writers who work for us contribute like really amazing things. We have uh, a young researcher here called Grace Charlton, who is Swiss-Australian and writes about um, an Australian critic who said that all buildings in Australia were ugly in the 60s. She refutes it as a young person now, talking about the vernacular of the country and how it's come on and how younger people are now proud of it. Um, Naomi Shu Elegant, who's a researcher with a good name. A who, very good name. <laughs> who, who, who works for us in our Hong Kong bureau, but is based in Singapore at the minute uh, for reasons of reporting. She wrote something about why nothing is native, which I thought was a really interesting, good take. And she's talking about a tree that she sees in Hong Kong in the city and how it was imported from Madagascar. But now because of climate change, there are none left in Madagascar. And it's a story about a tree. It's a story about a parakeet in London. It's a story about potatoes in Ireland or chilies in China. It's a story about exchange. But kind of it's a story about her as well, because she's Malaysian. She moved to another city. So all of these essays have touch points where they are about something. They're proffering a small amount of wisdom, but they're usually about something deeper as well. So maybe turning off your phone is, is one thing you could take from a digital decency manifesto. But maybe there are other subtle changes that it might inspire in your life as well. And that's the idea. It's incredibly hot across Europe today. <laughs> and there are a couple of essays on cooling down in the book. Our editorial director, Tyler Brule, writes on how to choose a body. And our North American editor, Chris Lord, gives us his ideas on how water shapes a city. And I wonder if you could just tell us a, a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, I think whatever we do at Monocle, there needs to be a sense of place. Uh, you know, if it's a dispassionate voice you know, calling down from above, you know, a great wisdom that they know and you don't to be imparted on you. That's a difficult thing. But The Economist does it well. I'm slightly joking. But, uh, you know, there needs to be a sense of place and a sense of authorship. So what those writers have done is, you know, Chris Lord, who you mentioned there, our US editor, he took three cities that he'd lived in, um, Dubai, Istanbul and Los Angeles, and talked about how the people from those cities related to the sea and how it talked about different parts of their history and what it meant. Tyler's, obviously, essay about uh, Bardi culture and what which Bardi you go to, which Swiss bath you go to, says about you. Again, it's, it, it's a real snapshot of a moment and a time, and he talks about how he discovered them, how he's, uh, you know, even built his life around being able to visit these places. But they're all little, funny, intriguing uh, ways of looking at the world with a sense of place. And just one other essay in that theme, it's kind of in praise of flying, which is uh, uh, not something we're all able to do but written by an airline pilot. And it really does talk about the fact that, you know, taking a window seat, you know, admiring the season, the city, the moment, the time of day is important. And that's what the whole book looks to do. There's no didactic essay about how you should definitely live. There are just ideas from all over the world, from different places that give you a little bit of inspiration and maybe something to take with you that feels like it's off the season, that feels a bit hot and feels like a, a dip might be the antidote to it at the end. Well, speaking about a dip a little bit earlier, you mentioned the Warm Water Swimming Club. Now, this is written by Justin Poole. I thought rather a suspicious name. You Tell were talking us... about a dip in the quality of jokes, I see, as well as, uh, <laughs> as, well as taking place in What is the Warm water? water Swimming Club and who, intriguingly, is Justin Poole? I don't think Justin would like it if I gave away his identity. It is a, um, a nom de plume, a soubriquet. A falsification. Um, but we, we, we've done these from time to time in Monocle. A good example we did recently was someone who worked for RT, the infamous uh, Russian disseminator of propaganda, where we had an essay uh, written by a person and we kept them unknown. There was no reason to give them a funny name. But I think in the past we've, um, we've had guest credits on a story about uh, the business of sleep by someone called P. Lowe. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't believe they were a real person. And Justin Poole, again, it's just a way of keeping the author safe. His essay very quickly is about why he's starting a warm water swimming club. And this is obviously pushing back against the people who say you have to jump headlong into the Hampstead ponds or the freezing gelid waters wherever you find yourself. I think he's just saying relax. I think he's saying it's okay to enjoy swimming somewhere warm. And I think that's an idea that uh, we can all get on board with. Absolutely. Justin, whoever you are, we thank you. Thank you very much, Josh. And now I feel you need a little taster of what's inside. I wrote one of the essays, in fact, for the book, and I spoke about the enduring power of astrology. We Brazilians look to the stars for answers and tend to love astrology. It was always a conversation starter with my family and friends when I was growing up in Sao Paulo. The discussions were mostly light-hearted, but some people took the subject very seriously, regardless of their religion, age or social class. When I was young, my mother always told me to be friends with Scorpios, as they are dedicated and loyal, and perhaps because she was one herself. She also cautioned me against crossing them. They can be vengeful, she said with a steely look in her eye. It's lucky that we get on. My father, an emotional man, but at the same time very rational when it comes to world affairs, once used the services of renowned Brazilian astrologer Oscar Quiroga, whose name can still be seen atop columns for the otherwise rather serious publication We Estado de São Paulo. My father spoke joyfully about his private session with the sky scanner and still swears that the advice he gained did wonders for his relationship with his wife. This is all to say that astrology, the stars and the far-fetched, fateful stories spun around them has always fascinated me, and horoscopes are a guilty pleasure. I am a proud, if inevitably ambivalent, Gemini. The libraries of books and miles of column inches on the subject suggest that this predisposes me to good communication skills, and that many Geminis become journalists. They are right about this. There's something comforting about astrology, perhaps because the advice that comes from reading the stars tends to be kind and inspires introspection. Unlike in other parts of life, particularly on social media, you don't tend to find write-ups that call you a bad person or tell you to give up. I don't believe that my future is already written. Actions are important. But I think that people taking comfort from a few words of kindly encouragement does little harm. Far from laughing at their parents' silly superstitions, today younger Brazilians are taking to astrology online, following social media accounts, including those of the Astro Poets, a New York duo who do pretty much what their name suggests. My curiosity about astrology and its allure led me to Susan Miller, who founded the website Astrology Zone in the 90s and is one of the industry's most successful practitioners. She's an entrepreneurial American who pens columns for magazines such as Vogue Japan and Claudia in Brazil. I spoke to her from London for Monaco 24 and afterwards she said we could have lunch when I was next in New York. Earlier this year we did just that. It wasn't exactly a lunch, more a snack who had sparkling water and chocolate almonds. 
Miller was friendly with penetrating eyes and a magnetic presence. I couldn't resist conducting another interview. Just 15 minutes, I thought. We were still yapping away after an hour and a half. I asked Miller why she thought that astrology still has a pull in an age of reason and manifold distractions. She reframed the question and said that the tradition is thousands of years old and that there's something in it for people who are curious about the stars and how they have been interpreted over the ages, even if they don't believe in horoscopes. I like being a Gemini and often find the expectations the places on me appealing. I'm supposed to be curious and enjoy consuming information. Sure enough, I take great pleasure in the morning newspapers. Though obviously, people not born between the 21st of May and 21st of June might too. The stars also say that a partner born in the House of Pisces would be my worst nightmare, but I'm six years and counting into a relationship with one and I'm not seeing that. What I take from this is that I need to work a little harder to ensure that things come good and, as Miller told me, opposites do attract. It's not taboo to say that I hugely enjoy and at times partially believe in the persuasive power of the stars. Having moved from Sao Paulo to London, there might be a little more skepticism around me than in my native Brazil. Perhaps the Brits think I'm strange. I prefer to see myself as a typically talkative but well-meaning Gemini with his head in the clouds. Oh, that was me there talking about astrology. One more, one more essay for you. And it's in the book. It's by Justin Poe, and I couldn't agree more with him. He talks about the delights of warm water swimming. It's with great pride that we announce the foundation of the Warm Water Swimming Club. We're establishing this much-needed institution in the belief that the crazed cold water swimming set is doing great harm to modern society with its frankly perverse views on the benefits of immersion in numbness-inducing freezing lakes and rivers. This idiocy must be stopped. It will be stopped. In the moment, you will hear the details of our founding charter, but remember, this is a fight for more than warm water. It's a fight for Mediterranean holidays, cocktails on the lounger, tan lines and stupefying summer heat. Stand firm, stay warm. One, men and women are not designed for cold water. If God had wanted us to dive into icy seas, he would have given us two tusks and sent us off to the Arctic to hang out with all the other walruses and seals. Two, if you need to cover your body in animal fat before entering the sea, then you require help, or perhaps a few rashes of bacon and a dousing of herbs before getting baked in an oven like a turkey. Three, if your swimming costume involves easing into layers of rubber and dressing your tootsies and little booties, then you have missed the whole point about swimming. In short, no member of our club should ever be spotted wearing a costume more suited to Berlin's notorious nightclub Bergen as they head into the sea. For we believe in the power of the skinny dip and in waters so tepid that no gentleman will ever emerge looking like someone who has two lychees attached to their nethers. Five, 
our members will take pride in the heritage of the budgie smuggler and the bikini, both of which will be incorporated into the club's forthcoming logo. These are real swimming costumes. Six, if the water is cold enough to make you gasp when it rises above belly button height, then you must get out immediately. This is nature's warning. Do not defy nature. Seven, floating lumps of ice? Yes, but only if they're in a delicious post-swim G&T. Remember, you must resist your inner walrus. Do not succumb to tusky temptation. Eight, frozen nipples? Well, if that's the badly translated name of an Italian gelato treat, yes, please. Otherwise, to hell with that. Nine, to break the smugness of the cold water swimming set, we encourage, in extreme cases, some intervention. Sabotage their central heating and then see how long it is before they come over to the cosy side. You'll soon learn the shallowness of their I love shivering commitment. Ten, we believe that Marbella, Tulum and Bodrum are holy places, their beaches lapped by life-giving waters. Defend these spiritual bastions. Eleven, we demand to know what the heretics mean by swimming, because a dunking in chilly waters that lasts under a minute is not swimming. You need to be able to float to your heart's content, splash out at a leisurely pace to a nearby rock, let half an hour drift away in the brine before you count it as a real swim. Twelve, there's nothing cool about your skin turning blue after a dip. If you return to the beach looking like a slab of gorgonzola, something has gone very wrong. Thirteen, be resolute against peer pressure. The cold waterers will try and persuade you that their way is good for you, that you'll feel amazing afterwards. You will not. You will only feel good in the sense that you are not dead. Next thing you know, they'll have you on a naked bike ride through Helsinki in January. Hey! These are difficult times when all the good done by generations of sun seekers could be undone in a jiffy. It is only by marching in our speedos that hope can be restored. Thank you, Justin. And I do love warm water swimming. I'm definitely part of this club. We'll be right back. And finally, on the show today, this week I had the pleasure to welcome in studio Brazilian food journalist Rafael Tonon. Tonon is currently based in the Portuguese city of Porto. He also has a new magazine out. It's called Farta. It's a foodie title dedicated to Portuguese food, especially those simple dishes that we all love. For the first issue, it's all about the francesinha. You don't know what a francesinha is? Well, tune in to the interview. Farta is a magazine about popular uh, Portuguese food. Portugal is a very nice country to eat, as you know. And we have, like, different dishes and different recipes and preparations. And we are trying to focus each issue in one dish. So we were planning, like, to make a magazine and to create this magazine from scratch. And we decided that more than talk about the food people already know, about when they visit, like, Lisbon or Porto or this kind of cities, we are trying to, to focus on dishes that more local people know about, not about touristic dishes, you know? 
And the, the magazine is all about that. Every issue, as I told you, is focused on one dish, one theme and one dish. And the first one is about uh, francesinha, which is a very controversial <laughs> uh, dish in Porto, from north region of Portugal. And it's like a, a kind of a sandwich with many layers and cheese and hot sauce and everything. So that's why it's very controversial among people. I had a few francesinhas. It's very nice. And yeah. is it beef as well, right? Yeah. We have like beef sausages mm. and cheese, topping with cheese. And then you have like a, a ice spoon with a hot uh, sauce. So it's very, very unique dish. I'm so glad your magazine is about this kind of quite simple food in some ways. I mean, yeah. because that's what I think Portugal does very well, in my opinion, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, food in Portugal, it's very simple, no frills. So I always say that you can walk around in Portugal and you have always, you can always find good food. I mean, in Tascas, we call it Tascas, which is very, very popular tabernas in this kind of things, very popular restaurants. But also in, in bakeries, we have like a, a huge culture of eating in bakeries, like we have in Brazil as well, yeah. uh, like a, a Portuguese heritage. And everywhere you go in Portugal, you can find very good food. And it's very affordable and it's very democratic as well. So I think food in Portugal, it's, it's all about these this very popular dishes. Well, I want to find out a bit more about the magazine. But first of all, tell us your story, because you're from Sao Paulo, like me, as well, both yeah. Paulistanos here on the table. When did you decide to move uh, to Portugal? Because I know you also worked as a food journalist in Brazil, right? Yeah. Still do in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, a Brazilian food journalist based in Portugal for four years now, um, based in Porto. We decided to, to move to Porto because my wife was invited for a job there and we decided that it was a, a good opportunity to go. And for me as a freelancer, it would be okay. I mean, I'm in Europe now, so I, I can travel more often around Europe as well. So it's, it's very good. And I mean, I'm still working for Brazil, for Brazilian media, for Portuguese media as well, as American media and some publications in, in Europe as well. So always covering food. And it's, it's very funny that we are talking again about a new project, about food, food-related project. And for me, it's very, I mean, I, I love the idea of how, how food is more about than, than the dish we have behind us and more about the culture, more about the people. And both this book we talked about, about the traditional restaurants in Sao Paulo and now Farta, the, this magazine we are launching in, in Portugal, but it's... Uh, actually, we launch in Portugal, but we have we are selling in in Europe, but in Japan as well, in the U.S., in many many countries. It's also focused on people behind the food, you know, like the culture. The food is related. When when we talk about a dish, we are not talking about only the ingredients that we use to to make this dish. We are talking about the the a whole culture, a whole habit, an eating habit as well that people have in different places, in different countries. So that's what we are trying to, to, to convey and to, to focus with this magazine. I think it's good you mentioned that you're selling the magazine in Japan and other parts of Europe because I feel the whole world is paying a lot of attention to Portugal. Yeah, yeah. So if it's a great time for that. Yeah, I think, I think Portugal is on trend right now. Yes. I mean, the, the number of tourists we, we are welcoming in Portugal is increasing every year. Of course, we have this struggle with the, the pandemic, for sure. 
but now we are we are receiving like uh, visitors from all over the world, Americans, people from Europe, like from England, and from France, and from from Japan. We have many Asian people as well. From more, Brazil. From Brazil, of <laughs> course. And we used to have more people uh, visiting Lisbon because it's the capital, it's the, the the main city for sure. But now we have like people visiting as well different cities like Porto, where I'm based. And the south of Portugal, I mean, different different cities. And people fell in love with Portugal because it's a very tiny country, actually. It's very, very easy to to, to move around. You can go from, from Lisbon to Porto in like two hours and a half, more or less. And it's it's very easy and the people are very friendly and the food is very, very hearty and very good. So I think people fell in love with Portugal and with Portuguese food with Portuguese food when they they visit the country. It's amazing. And tell us about the design of the magazine. It's a very beautiful uh, title. I know there's been a collaboration. Yeah. Uh, tell us a bit more about yeah. that. Yeah. I'm working in this magazine with a graphic uh, studio. They are called Another Collective. They are also based in Porto. That's why why we met each other one year ago and we decided to to create a magazine that was both interesting in, in content, you know, with very nice content, w with different articles, with different perspectives and points of view, but also a very beautiful magazine. I mean, I, I love printed media, you know. I, I, I know that we are going to a more online digital world and probably we'll have more digital publications than, of course, printed ones. But I think printed magazine has... It's magic, you know, like the, the, the smell of the paper, how you you put together all the informations and photos and everything. And this this studio is a very nice, good studio, and they created a very nice and beautiful visual design project. And that's the point. I mean, yeah, for me as a journalist, try to think about the, the content, and they are trying to think about how to, to express this content in pages and ink. It's a very good to work together with graphic designers, with art designers, and, and I think it came up very well. Yeah, it's a very beautiful magazine. If I am in Porto, I've never been to Porto. Can you believe how far? It's crazy. <laughs> I, I, you I, have to come. I need to go there. Where can I have the best francesinha? That's a good question, <laughs> actually. That's a very good question. We have like many traditional places. The magazine talks about the, the popular food. I mean, we are trying to talk about food that people usually eat, you know, not, not only like touristic dishes or, or something. Michelin. Or Michelin, yeah. Like something that people eat every day. So francesinha, it's, it's a good example because we have like many popular places to eat francesinha. I love the francesinha from a place it calls Santiago. It's a very nice francesinha, and I really like uh, francesinha from a place called uh, Lado B, or Beside, we could translate in English. So, but I mean, every corner you can find good francesinha in, in Porto. And where can people find Farta? And also, tell us about the name, because Farta is kind of a Portuguese expression when you're kind of full, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, farta in English, we could translate as uh, fed up mm. or something. Because as in Portuguese, like farto or farta, it's like to be fed up, like if you're a little bit tired, but also full in food-wise, you know, when you eat a lot, you feel like farto mm -hmm. or fed up or full with all this this food. So we decided to, to call it farta because... We are trying to to play with this 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 name, 
And now Farta is, is being on sale by, by our website. It's like Farta, farta.pt. It's in Portugal. We can buy online. But we are now uh, looking for sellers all over the world. I mean, we, we have like already in Lisbon, in Barcelona, in Paris, and in Osaka. I mean, a, a, a seller in Osaka just asked us to, to send him like 10 magazines for him to, to, to sell because he was like, oh, in his email, he was like, oh, my God, it's a magazine about a very Portuguese sandwich. Yes, I want it. So send me 10 of them. Send me 10 copies that I, uh, that I will have to, to sell it here. I like this person. Yeah. Uh, you being a food journalist, just my final question here. How do you see the food press in Brazil and Portugal, for example, two that you have a lot of experience uh, with. Do you see, because I see people are more and more paying attention to food. I know it's not big news, but it, it is true. Yeah, I think food has become very, very trend as well. People, we have like chefs turned into celebrities right now. We have like many lists and awards and we have like TV shows about food. We have like uh, Hollywood movies about about food as well. So. The food world, it's very packed with many content and people are paying attention more and more about food for sure. Not only about the, the food itself, like to eat, to visit restaurants. I always say that it's very, very funny for me that many years ago when I started working with food journalism, people were telling me like when they came to London or, or to New York or something, you would ask, oh, what did you did you do there? And people would say, oh, I visit some museums and I went to this, this art gallery and this kind of things. And now people come back talking about the restaurant they, they visit. So for me, it's very, very funny because I'm in this world for at least 10 years now. And it changed a lot. I mean, people are valuing more, more and more to talk about restaurants. It's more like a social uh, skill that you have. Like if you have visit many restaurants, you you have this kind of conversation with different people. You know, because oh, I visit this and this restaurant, so I can talk about this. And I think, as well, people think they know about food because since everyone, everybody eats all the time. Everybody knows about food as well, you know. So I think food is gaining more and more attention, more, more prominence. And I think it will be like this for at least more three years. Thank you very much, Rafael. And the first edition of Farta is out now. Just go to farta.pt. That's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever to our editor, Nora Hall, if you have any comments or queries, feel free to email me at fpandmonaco.com and we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, you can always listen to it again and subscribe on monaco.com, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And before we go, a little song for you. A Sir with Summer Madness. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco and it's goodbye from me. Madness to fashion, so many distractions. Skater showing us mad tricks, going through traffic. Talent never can run dry, it just happens. Everywhere you look around, catch a bit of the action.